Hello everyone, I'm William Russell, Lord Mayor of London, an ambassador for the UK's financial and professional services sector. It's a pleasure to introduce this session of Coffee with Innovate Finance, close partners of the City of London Corporation. Innovation is a key focus in my work this week. I'm leading a virtual visit to North America to showcase a delegation of UK fintech and VC firms and engage with a number of different American and Canadian investors. Today, Innovate Finance will be speaking to Hussein Kasai from Onfido about the company's growth journey with special emphasis on their US expansion. This is a timely conversation indeed, and a reminder of the importance of international partnerships. I was delighted to learn about Onfido's successful Series D funding round earlier this year, which was led by TPG Growth a company that I am engaged with as part of my North America visit. The US in particular continues to lead international investment into the UK, even during these difficult times. Innovation is one of the UK's key strengths, and thanks to the support of international investments, many companies like Onfido are continuing to expand. This week, it is my aim to highlight these opportunities and partnerships so that we may see continued growth and a new generation of fintech firms scaling up through the support of international capital. I hope you enjoy this discussion. I, for one, am very much looking forward to learning more from Hussein on Onfido's recent success. And, and welcome back to Coffee with Infin. Um, for those who haven't tuned in before, it's a podcast series where we speak to experts from the industry on the changing faces of financial services and the future of fintech and financial innovation. My name is Charlotte Crosswell, I'm Chief Executive of Innovate Finance, and I'm very pleased to welcome the CEO of Onfido, Hussein Kasai. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, for a discussion on Onfido's work, investment and overall partnership in the US market. Hussein is a great friend of Infin, normally would be found just literally next door to us in, in uh, an office, but uh, now we can, uh, we can do this from the comfort of our own homes. Hussein, thanks for joining us. It's great to be on. Um, so I think a lot of people know Onfido. Um, and for those listeners, it is Onfido, it's not Onfido. A lot of people will ask that. Um, uh, you know, but perhaps for those listeners who are joining us for the first time, and obviously this series is, is particularly interesting because it's part of our US trade mission this week. Um, just tell us a bit about, about your firm, and you know, what we can all call a great success story in working, um, you know, particularly with this US angle and what you're doing in the US. Um, and you know, I think it'll be really interesting to hear just a bit about what Onfido does. Absolutely. So we're a team of about 400 people and we help about 1500 businesses onboard people as their customers remotely using identity. So if you are registering for an online bank, for example, you're asked to take a photo of your ID and a short selfie video. And behind the scenes, we're using computer vision and machine learning to verify that it's a genuine ID and that your face matches the ID. That is uh, on Fido in the background so that you can be onboarded securely. And the name uh, comes from Fido and Confido in Latin, which stands for trust and confidence. And that's the aim of it, to be able to build that layer of trust and confidence for digital transactions. That's great. And I think when people take those selfie videos and wonder why it's so quick nowadays, nobody really thinks of the tech behind it um, and the AI that you use. Um, and I think you know, 
to save you being too humble, but you know, your customers include major banks, government bodies, I understand, businesses doing recruitment, um, and any organization running part of uh, processes virtually. Um, I also understand you, you announced a $100 million raise recently with US-based uh, TPG Growth Fund, but obviously you have you know, significant US investors behind on Fido um, already. Um, to date, I believe your partners are in over 60 countries um, with customers ranging from Revolut, Zipcar, Deliveroo, Experian and the US government um, and been uh, offering select services recently at no cost to nonprofit and charity healthcare home services and helping to provide relief from the COVID-19 pandemic. So one of the many fintech companies that we, we love and have just pivoted your business and responded to this awful crisis so well. Um, but you've also successfully scaled into the US market. Um, you know, and that's a task that many UK firms are working towards. Um, and some will get there and some, some won't. Um, but certainly you've been more successful than most. Um, and I think we're just keen today to hear a bit about your journey. Um, so just talk about you know, how did the evolution of your original product come through um, and respond to these macro changes. And then talk a bit about you know, how you've changed that over the last few months in response to COVID? Yeah, by all means. So when we started after myself and my two co-founders were graduated from university eight years ago now, we were convinced that businesses are gonna move online. They need to verify people digitally in a convenient, secure, privacy-centric way and so on. And when we developed our, our first version of the product, it was perfectly timed for the trust marketplace ecosystem, be it home sharing, car sharing, you know, an on-demand nanny or tutor or cleaner or doctor coming to your home and actually you can't have a nanny come to your home without being sure that they've been verified so we were well timed for that and then we built the product and because it uses machine learning the more checks that we do the more sophisticated the models become at detecting sophisticated filters and it improves and then we were able to start spinning over to the fintech sector it was um, go cardless uh, and then uh, the remittance platforms and so on and so forth starting two years after we started or six years ago. And in the last two years, it's been the mainstream banks, as you mentioned. We're really lucky that four of the five mainstream banks in the UK, for instance, use us uh, and others on continental Europe, the US and elsewhere. When it, so that's the trajectory as far as the verticals that we've been focusing on. As far as the US, three years after we launched, so five years ago in 2015, I got my backpack. I went, so most of my family live in California. Uh, and I spent some time being local to understand the, how the customers are different. At the time, it was selling to the uh, trust marketplaces as a starting point, because as you know better than I, the fintech ecosystem there was not as developed as it is now, um, especially. So it uh, being local helped. It was tough for the first two years. A handful of customers, so sizable customers started using us. But that changed, especially three years ago, we signed some big clients and now one of the top three banks in the US is a client and all that made a big difference and, and helped. And so coming on to the more recent times, your question around uh, sort of in the last eight months, uh, post COVID in particular, we are somewhat fortunate despite this being a, a terrible pandemic, as you said, as far as the relevance for what we do, in essence, we're a remote identity verification company in an increasingly remote working world. So there are a, some use cases that we had from previously that have just accelerated. Just digitization globally has always been a top priority for, in fact, the majority of the financial institutions, if not all of them. Those have been shortened and accelerated on the one hand, and there have been new use cases that have come up, whether it's like a health passport, whether it's 
digitally accessing buildings without having to touch um, dial pads or, or things of that nature. And lastly, uh, voting. In the last couple of months, people have just talked and, and thought more about why can't we just vote digitally and make uh, this a much better democratic process. And why can't we just vote? <laughs> I mean, I'm quite interested to see how we can uh, how we can evolve that because some markets have really pushed forward with that. And you know, I know Estonia, for example, has done a huge amount of voting system. You know, do you think that's something that's going to, on the back of COVID, is really going to accelerate from your side of the business? I hope so, because part of this drive has historically been convenience, but now there's a hygiene and security factor. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're queuing in close proximity, sometimes for hours, as we've seen this week, right, in some states in the US that have opened yeah. up uh, early voting. So this has accelerated that. Um, as I know that you'd know, this is beyond just a technology question, there's a political question here. But moving beyond the, the, the politics, I am pretty convinced in the next five to 10 years, it's going to become the key and main way for us voting. It is just, it seems a little bit bizarre in us queuing. It's just not, it's alien to us because we, we're doing everything digitally now. You can sign up to a bank account, get a mortgage. You can do almost anything digitally. Why is it when, when it comes to voting? So the answer to your question is, as, as you said, successfully, Estonia is a good example that's re repeated often. And you have much better participation because of it. Uh, and Okta in the US has done research around if it were to become easier for people to digitally enroll to vote, in their estimates, 16 million more people uh, would actually take part and, and vote. So it seems like a natural next step and one that has seen significant interest in recent times. The last thing to say is we already have partners that do this. Agora is one, but these are for much smaller countries. We've not seen yet digital voting en masse in any large country, but it's on its way. Well, that sounds exciting and I'm sure a huge growth opportunity for you. Um, I think obviously it's really important to discuss your funding journey. You know, we've, uh, we've seen many fintechs have told us through the crisis of how difficult it's been to secure funding and others obviously have found it very, very easy or were very fortunate in timing of funding just before um, lockdown. You've got some incredible names on your cap table, um, you know, SoftBank, Microsoft M12, Salesforce Ventures, and as we said, TPG Growth Fund as well. Um, you make it sound very easy. You know, can you just talk a bit about that journey and maybe some advice for others who are following through? So there's, I would just crudely categorize as early stage and later stage. In the early stage, the things to bear in mind is it's mostly selling an opportunity and the team that is able to execute on that. And because it's a big part of it's just like belief in the founding team and sort of the team more broadly, it, relationships count. So you need to sell to your champion, often a partner at a venture firm uh, and ensure that that champion buys into the vision and you as a team, and then hopefully everything else will just work itself through. Whereas in later stages, what matters most is you've now had some opportunities you've had some investments you should have been able to show a return on investment uh, if it's a sort of a for-profit company and when it gets to that stage the metrics count the most and so in some ways it's, it's tough and it should be and it always uh, i'm sure it will be but in later stages um the ability to show metrics uh, counts a lot in, in getting there and in the us sort of tpg growth uh, who we were lucky enough to partner with um earlier this year um, they are, we were pretty, well, we knew that we wanted the U.S. fund. The U.S. is our largest and fastest growing market. And we wanted not just a big brand, but one that is very skilled in helping companies like ours with the strongest technology 
kind of have won the US and now want to bring it to the US. Uh, sorry, have won Europe and now want to bring that to the US. And that's why uh, we sort of have targeted a partner like them and were able to end up uh, working with them. So think through what you want out of an investment firm uh, as you're planning out uh, who you should be approaching. Yes, and I think far too many just chase the money, which is always very tempting. And it's never, never easy, the funding journey. But, um, but I totally agree that being strategic on that and helping it to secure your next phase of growth is so key. I mean, obviously, as you said, it's, you know, it's there to expand your existing business into the US and you're seeing your growth opportunity there. Perhaps we can just talk about you know, regulation, um, UK versus US partnership perspective. Um, and that strategic funding of how that's going to support um, your next phase of the journey in the US. And then maybe some key takeaways uh, to share as well of you know, what you would do differently if uh, you were to do it all over again. Sure. So on the regulation, I think the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK is one of our best exports and more and more countries across the world are seeing all the benefits of essentially fintech being relatively new and how the regulator has to adopt uh, its perspective, adapt, excuse me, its, its uh, perspective and adopt insights on these new technological methods so that the customer's getting the best service while ensuring there's no abuse. And the sandbox, which we've been a part of, and the, the regulatory sandbox in cohort one and now cohort five, which was last year. So all of those are really great things and have helped us not just be very plugged in into the ecosystem because we ourselves are not regulated as such. We're more of a reg tech and we help our clients who are regulated. By us being plugged into the ecosystem, we've been able to make sure that our product essentially matches the requirements. And the comparison with the US is that the UK is so far ahead. It is by having that uh, approach of sandboxes and iterative learning and so on. Uh, it's been able to, in my view, foster a much healthier, um, not just FinTech, but a RegTech ecosystem. So, but, but uh, colleagues in the US and others are, are learning from it as well as in other countries and trying to close that gap, if that answers your question. Yeah. No, I mean, it's certainly, it's, it's interesting on RegTech because I've just seen just significant support from our regulators, as you've said, you know, leveraging it themselves as well. So not just supporting the companies and seeing what's coming through, but actually how can they use this in machine readable handbooks, for example. And every time I have a conversation with the regulators in the UK, they're constantly pushing the boundaries of what they can do to support the RegTech space, which is quite rare, actually. And I think we, we take it slightly for granted in, in the... Uh, in the UK, but just an incredible opportunity really for reg tech firms. And I know that you amongst others have seen you know, such tremendous growth as a result of that support from the regulators and the fact that they are driving forward that change. You're, you're right. And Charlotte, if there's one thing to share, you know, it, it's, it's, if there were areas to improve, there are definitely quite a few of them. But one in particular is around Companies House and the ability for Companies House to carry out identity checks um, for, for businesses that are registering and people who are sort of reported directors of these businesses. It, it was, we're all very proud of, especially in the UK, what we've achieved as a financial services industry, very proud of, of London uh, in particular, but we can't get away from the, the leaks and the money laundering that's going on and the BBC Panorama documentary and so on. There is really a, a all the building blocks to fix that or, or make significant improvements on that exist there needs to be some regulatory changes to help and enable um, companies house in particular to do identity checks so that people registering to be directors of businesses are checked. Now, obviously I'm not impartial to this. We're an identity company, but we're not the only one, you know, it doesn't matter who, who is used. 
or if there's a combination of them being used. But it's just one of those areas that however much we work hard to make sure we're reducing fraud and money laundering, there are these much bigger ticket items that could be addressed by regulatory improvements on that front, which I myself uh, will be working a little bit around generating some awareness uh, on it. Yeah, and well, that's incredibly important. It's not the first time that uh, that's been brought up with me as well. So, you know, I think everyone thinks that fintech is just there to to advance innovation in financial services, but as you said, it's the whole ecosystem around that as well, including places like Cummins House. And recently, I've, we've seen an open banking RFP from HMRC as well on the tax side. And during COVID, as we saw some of the new schemes being implemented. Um, you know, really pushing forward the fact that we have you know, so many great brains around uh, the technology table within fintech that can be changed and they can pivot and they can help the, all these other departments. It doesn't just have to be financial services. A lot of the products, as you, as you all know from yours, you can be used in, in many different scenarios. Um, now, obviously, you've got you know, very strong client ties into the US, and I understand you've been collaborating with the US government about digital ID. You know, obviously, this uh, we've talked about digital ID so many times in the UK um, over the last few years, and also the opportunity for open banking and open finance. Do you think COVID is, and all the terrible things that have happened as a result of COVID, but if we look at the next phase of innovation, is this finally going to take us forward on digital ID, to your point? Um, to stop the fraud as there's more online fraud coming through as people go to digital transformation um, and are we going to finally see movement on that and you know, just give me an update on what you've been doing around that debate uh, absolutely so your question around work with the u.s government to be specific mm -hmm. is via consulting firms or organizational bodies that are helping guide what good looks like such as yeah. the Better Identity Coalition and other task forces yeah. that are just pulling the best ideas uh, from industry and then going through, you know, how can we improve in the U.S.? You know, the credit bureau system underpins the U.S. identity uh, framework as it does in the U.K. and many countries. It's just what, what can we now move on to past this? And the answer to uh, your question around is it now even more important given COVID-19? The answer is absolutely. And it's created greater awareness, not just in the UK government, but very many governments that we ought to do this and think, think of it more strategically and, and be able to offer better service to our citizens because of this digital identity ecosystem. So that is one, an area that we are very, very active in. It is also one where there needs to be a series of building blocks and you kind of need privacy at the heart of it because the best model in the world is the Chinese one <laughs> in that it's, it's relatively secure when it comes to users, you know, using, uh, let's say WeChat, it, it leverages the Chinese identity infrastructure. So consumers have relatively uh, easy access. It is great inclusion. Almost everyone is enrolled. It's relatively secure, but it has almost no consideration for privacy. So the objective ought to be delivering the benefits that that's been able to deliver to its population, but with privacy at the heart of it, for, for the other countries and other um, helping other governments think of it in that way. And there is quite a bit of way to go to, to get there, but we are heavily involved in that and quite certain that it's, it's the future. Yeah. Now, well, I know that we have uh, an independent review on FinTech, um, which I know the Onfido team have been feeding into the Khalifa review. It's really looking at the next evolution of FinTech or innovation in financial services. Um, and I know that it's coming up many times of how can we how can we put those building blocks in place now? Because um, just such an incredible opportunity for the UK to, to lead. 
um, by example and continue continue its evolution. And precisely, and if there were sort of the 20 second summary of it, it's businesses are struggling with the cost and time it takes to onboard people digitally. And therefore, if that were to be streamlined so that people can sign up in a lot easier way, given that they, let's say they already have a digital identity, they can reuse that over and over again within five seconds, as opposed to five minutes, five hours or five days sometimes. And in parallel, consumers, we repeatedly have to go and have face-to-face meetings to notarize documents or show paper-based identity. Or if you if you want to sign up as a small business, for instance, get, getting a loan, opening a bank account, it's just so cumbersome that everyone would benefit, consumers and businesses alike, should there be an identity ecosystem to enable all this. And we were very fortunate, we received the BCR grant of five million pounds to bring this forward, especially in the business community and SME community, which we're working on. Well, that sounds great. And I think for anyone who's on the US trade mission this week and isn't aware of, uh, of Hussein's work at Onfido, please do get in touch and more happy to put connect you on that because you're one of the great thinkers in the UK. And we certainly appreciate all the work that you're doing to advance the financial services ecosystem and, you know, and just continue to hear great things about Onfido from wherever I'm talking to around the world. So you, your brand is so strong, Hussein, and, and uh, the team has just done such an awesome job in showing what the possibilities are for, for UK FinTech and how to take that overseas. Um, you know, I think we've come to the end of our time. I just want to say thank you so much. If the listeners want to get hold of you and talk to you, how do they get hold of you? Um, both on Twitter uh, and LinkedIn, both as a, as a sort of on, as a company, we're quite active. And I just want to take a, a quick second to thank Infin and the team and all the advocates that you do for the industry, knowledge sharing and all the different workshops that you have. It's we as an ecosystem are here in large part because of uh, your help. So thank you for that. Thank you, Hussein. And thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to all our listeners for today's series. Thanks.